Welcome, everyone, to Relevant Faith Church. My name is Mike Wilmer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are excited that you have joined us today. Today is a special day, and um, we have one of our very own is going to be preaching the gospel this morning. I am excited for all of you to hear from my very good friend, someone who has prayed for my family, lifted my family up, loved my family, loved this church in spite of its pastor, and somebody got that joke. That's good. No, but this woman is a powerful woman of prayer, influential, and I absolutely love her, and I'm excited to see what God has to say this morning. So will you help me welcome Miracle Rose as she comes to preach the Word of God this morning. Good morning. How is everybody doing this morning on this cold day? I want to get started with prayer, then we'll dive right in. Father God, I just thank you for this time. I thank you. uh, What an honor it is to just stand before you and stand before your people, oh God, to share your news, oh God. I just ask that um, you allow uh, your people to hear what you want them to say, oh God, and allow me to be obedient in every way. And I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you like a good bargain? You go in the store specifically looking for one item that you've been having your eye on, and then you come out with three different discounted versions of that same item. This is just me. You may even spend more money than you originally attended because you think you're getting more. How many of you know that the enemy works in the salesman's business? He always comes with a deal, discount, and appearance of a freebie. The word deal, by definition, is an attractive piece, I'm sorry, an attractive price on a commodity for a purchaser, a bargain. Another way to understand what I mean by deal is, it's an offer given to you that interrupts God's plan for your life. We are oftentimes, as purchasers of any bargain, giving up something by ourselves in exchange. That can be money traded services, you name it. So um, a couple of years ago, Christian, my husband, um, we were newly married, and he was in a process of accepting a new job right after we were married. Um, He had been at his old job for a long time, and it had become chaotic. He was overworked, and it just wasn't a good culture anymore, a pleasant environment for him to work. So he ended up getting a new job and put in his two weeks. And so during his two weeks, his company, you know, of course know that he has a new job. And they offered Christian, immediately wanted to meet with him. He had to meet with the big wigs. And they offered Christian a large lump sum of money and an increased salary if he was to stay with them. He thought about this. And mauled it over because Christian doesn't make decisions immediately. It takes him a minute. And when he came back, he had already decided in his mind that this wasn't going to be a good deal. He said, no deal. Come to find out, if he would have took that deal, he would have had to sign a non-disclosure 
and he would have had to commit two more years to this particular company, which was unpleasant, he was overworked, and the culture was bad. Even today, the culture is still the same, and it's probably even worse. I am so glad, and we have peace of mind, and we had peace of mind that he didn't stay in this non-chaotic atmosphere. And it's more important to have your peace than to have your money. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God said, I come that you may have life more abundantly. Here's some facts. Satan is after me and your living abundantly. But he will always make it seem like he is giving you it all. Everything you've always wanted. But is the deal really worth it? Let's look in the Bible. We're going to go to Genesis 3, 1 through 6, and we're going to look at Eve and see what happened with her. And you can open your Bibles, use your devices. It should be up on the screen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes would be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So God gave Eve and Adam specific instructions. Don't touch the tree. Y'all can roam around freely, do what you have to do, but just stay away from this tree. My first point is, we need to not, as a church, we need to have the saying, I don't negotiate with terrorists. I don't do it. Eve negotiated and she, you know, was manipulated and seduced with the very thing that she already knew that God didn't tell her to say. She was being, in my opinion, blatant disobedient. God told them to do this. She didn't do it. Now let's go down. We're still in Genesis, but we're going to go Genesis 25, and we're going to read about Esau. 29 through 32. So it's Genesis 25, 29 through 32, and it should be up on the screen. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? So let me go back a little bit just in case you guys don't know who Esau is. So way back, you know, there's Abraham and 
God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. But him and his wife, Sarah, they hadn't conceived, no children. And so finally, they conceived Isaac. And Isaac was born. And Isaac is the son that God told Abraham to sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And so right when it came to the time for him to sacrifice his son, there was a ram in the bush. And so him, his son lived. His son went on to grow up to marry a lady named Rebecca. And with Rebecca, she had, he had twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the oldest son. And back historically, biblically, the oldest child received a birthright, received the blessing, received an inheritance. So Esau, even though they were twins, Esau came out first, and the Bible says Jacob came out on his hill. And so Jacob has been scheming and trying to get this birthright. And so because of Esau's hunger, you know, he traded in his birthright, his blessing, his inheritance, all because his flesh wanted some stew. They say some red stew. And this is just a fun fact. Um, they called him Esau Edom. And it went on. This, this Edom means red. He actually came out red. Um, the Bible and commentating kind of denotes that his skin was red. His hair was red. He probably was a redhead. And so um, this went on, though, because he traded in his birthright. Consequentially, for generations after him, his people and his descendants were called Edomites. And biblically, Edomites is the very enemy to Israel. The Bible says in Galatians 5.17, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are always conflict with one another. You know, a very good example is you come to church and God and the, the spirit within you wants to lift your hands and your flesh is saying, mm, it don't take all that now. I can just stand here and, you know, receive lifting my hands. That's a lot. You know, your flesh is always contrary to your spirit. What your flesh hates, what your flesh wants, your spirit hates and what your spirit craves, your flesh hates. My saying is, if your flesh is too happy, your spirit is unhappy. If your flesh is too happy, your spirit is unhappy. That can translate into various different things. Sometimes your flesh is a little too happy and you have an ongoing attitude. You literally can cut somebody out. You possibly sexually lusted after somebody that is not your spouse. You've overeaten. You've undereaten. These can be red flags in your life. Your flesh says, me, 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 me. And your spirit says, him, 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 him. There is good news if you are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, though, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus does not come to condemn, but he will show you the correct way and he will guide you out of whatever it is that your flesh got you into with his love, his grace, and his mercy. What does no condemnation mean if we had to just separate that part? 
We are free through our relationship in Jesus Christ. We're not tainted. We're not reminded. We're not guilted. We're not shamed. But the weight of sin comes off of us as we are surrendered and relinquished to the Lord. Amen? I remember there was a time in my life I had all things God on the shelf. And this was at the end of 2003. And it's funny because just three years before that, I had given my life to the Lord. About four years before that, I had given my life to the Lord. And I was in high school, and I was like uh, an evangelist in the school. I mean, I won awards. I had trophies about being the most dedicated person to the Lord, the most uh, inspirational. And sure enough, three years later, I find myself having all things God on the shelf. My flesh was happy, but my spirit was miserable. This is until something happened to me that hurt my heart. I had Zalen at the time, and he was two. And um, Zalen was kidnapped by his dad. And I did not see Zalen for seven weeks. It was almost eight weeks. It was almost right at two months. And I'll never forget... uh, I remember going into my mom's room, and uh, I don't know why my mom's room was attractive, but I went into her room, and I had not spoken to God in three years, literally. Hi, bye, thank you, nothing. And I remember I said to him, God, why is this happening to me? And I remember clearly he answered me right then and there, and he said, Miracle, this is how I feel every time... One of my children is taken away from me. This is how I feel. I was having panic attacks. My heart was hurting. And God said, this is how I feel every time one of my children is taken away from me. And I remember crying. And I remember every day I used to go in my mom's room and I built a sanctuary and an altar in her room every day because I wanted to see God. I wanted to seek him. I wanted to know what he had for my life. Why is this happening to me? When is my son coming home? It's funny that I didn't remember. I'm sorry. It's funny that I remembered everything that I had let go three years ago. It just came back to me. The praying, the seeking God, the waiting on him. And so I remember one of those times during my altar time with the Lord, God said, it's time for you to come back to the body. I want you to come back to church. Now, let me just put pause right there. I don't know how many of you guys have been in my small group and heard my story about uh, there was a time when I was drug into the church. So there was a time when I was backsliding, somebody saw something in me that I didn't see in myself at the time. And they took me to the church without my permission. And I met the church. My flesh is literally fighting this person because I don't want to get out the car. And sure enough, a deacon of that church came out and was literally pulling me into the church. Unpause. Me and God was now having an argument because he told me I needed to go to church. And he told me I needed to go back to that church. And I'm thinking, God, how embarrassed will I be? And I'm literally having this debate with God. But in the end, I said, okay, God, I'm going to go ahead and go. I'm going to go ahead and go. I haven't had Zalem back. Literally after I said yes to God, Zalem gets back with me. And I have Zalem back. And I had to decide then, 
Am I going to keep my word in going back to church? Because it was so easy. You know, God, don't you know, you know, I went through all this and you want me to go back to church and all the embarrassment coming back, all this stuff started coming back. But I decided to obey. Me and Zaylin are off the church Sunday. We get to the church and they have pews. We ain't have no nice, comfortable seats. We had the old church pews. We get to the church. We get to our pew. Zaylin starts acting up. Zaylin, if you know him, he's very mild-mannered, chilled, do not act up. Zaylin starts acting up, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, God, I'm just going to sneak on out of here because this is too much, and I'll just come back when Zaylin gets a little older because this is not not it. And so I turn around, and I see this man praying for me. And I'm still undignified. I'm not holy, holy or nothing. So I'm staring at this man until he's done praying. And he looks up at me when he's done and smiles. And I turn back around and Zaylin says, Mommy, I'm sleepy. And he goes to sleep. And so that gave me enough time to hear the sermon, to hear the service, to go up to the altar, receive prayer, and rededicate myself back to him. Obedience is necessary in overcoming your flesh. I had to obey. There was no way around it. And this is just a side note. Did you know this man? I later learned that his name was Brother Willie. Every time I went into the service, this man sat near me. I can sit right there. He's right here. I would sit right there. He's right there. Everywhere I went, this man was near me. And I think that he was an angel because I never saw that man again when I became strong enough, when God knew I was going to come to church in the snow, when God knew I was going to come to church with no money, when God knew I was going to come to church and I never had a ride. My point, too, is if it's not hurting you in your flesh, you are not fighting hard enough. You are not. There was times the whole entire time that I went to this church, I didn't have a ride initially. It was literally after I became faithful and Brother Willie was gone that God blessed me with a car. In order to not take any deals given to you, there has to be a relinquishing of yourself or a selfless part of you that says, it's not about me. Do you think Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, I know you know who they are, thought of themselves when they didn't take the deal with King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not bowing to your statue. Going into the lion's den, being almost caught on fire in the fiery furnace. No, they said, I will exalt God above myself and I'm not taking no deals. Now let's look at who did not take the deal biblically. Y'all remember Job. A lot of people like the reference. You have the the patience of Job, not me, but you have the patience of Job. Do you know that, that Job lost everything? He lost his home. He lost his livestock. He lost his children. His wife up and left him and said, you need to curse God and die. This ain't it. His friends came to give him unsolicited advice. But Job said, in Job 13, 15, though he slays me, yet will I still trust him. How many people can say that when you're going through some stuff? 
Though he slay me, yet will I yet yet will I trust him. Job put God above his own situation. We saw the video on Dr. Martin Luther King. I would like to submit that he did not take any deals. He could have. He was jailed three times. His house was burned, bombed, and caught on fire. What would have happened if Dr. Martin Luther King would have took the deal? Giving up on equal rights. Giving up on being unsegregated. What would the world look like for us today in 2019? This, what I'm doing right now, preaching as a black woman, wouldn't happen. Me having an interracial marriage openly, because I feel like I would have probably did some secretly, <laughs> would not have happened. Now, I'm not saying racism does not exist. We have come a long ways. The, me and my husband never have never been treated any different, not, not that I know of in public. We do hear so many times, is this on separate checks? But maybe every, everybody hears that. We have come a long ways. He did not give up. He walked and he fought and he believed. Here's a fun fact about Dr. Martin Luther King. Did you guys know that Dr. Martin Luther King was born Michael King? His dad, he was named after his father, Michael King, and he was Michael King Jr. And at the age of five years old, his dad, which was a pastor, was obsessed with Martin Luther, which is a, a Protestant reformer that helped reform the church back in the day. And he changed their names, five years old. Last and importantly, Jesus didn't take the deal. Now, Jesus had a lot of deals given to him. The first one is, Satan tempted him in the wilderness three times. He was fasting, trying to seek the Lord. Here comes Satan. Y'all know how I feel fasting now. The second time he was tempted was when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I have this scripture up on the, um, on the slides in Matthew 26, 38 through 40. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He was talking to his disciples at the time. Stay here and keep watch with me. He said with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken up from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples to find them sleeping. He says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Look, y'all, Jesus was tired. In this verse, Luke, if we read this same verse, because Luke had an account of this, it talks about how Jesus was sweating blood when he was praying. He was serious. 
and then he come back and find the disciples taking a snooze, I would have been done. What would it have been like if Jesus would have said, I'm done? The third and final thing is, after that time he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was betrayed by Judas, and he went to the Roman courts. Now, in the Roman courts, Luke, Matthew, and John wrote the same account, and Pilate said, what crime has this man committed? And I have found no grounds for his death. And John wrote the same thing. Luke wrote the same thing. Matthew wrote the same thing. Pilate wanted to get Jesus off. Pilate did not want to send Jesus to the cross. Pilate even went so far to say is, I've washed my hands because the crowd was persuading him to kill someone innocent. He wouldn't washed his hands. This not on me. This blood is not on me. Did you also know that in the Roman courts, historically, you are not guilty unless proven guilty. They can't just guilt you. You're not guilty unless proven guilty. The only exception is if you're quiet, if you say nothing. And if you guys read and study the scripture, Jesus did not reply to that accusation. He said nothing. Jesus literally put the will of God above his own. Really. My point three is don't give up. Your breakthrough and or blessing may be around the corner. If Jesus wouldn't have went through the cross, to the cross, where would we be? What would our lives look like? Did you know that after Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated, literally a few days later is when they passed the non-segregated uh, law. It was at the very end there was a breakthrough. Now, I know it's hard to walk in Jesus' footsteps, but we're called to be like him. And if you do not know where to start, a good place to start is Matthew 6, 33. And I'm going to read out the Amplified Version. But first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness. His way of doing and being right, having the attitude and character of God. And then all these things will be given to you. Another translation says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. And let me tell you, in the seeking God first, you are likely not to take any deals thrown at you from the enemy. Because I saw God first and his kingdom, Zalan and I, Zalan's dad and I now have a great relationship. Because of me seeking the Lord and wanting to do his will, and through my relationship, my real relationship with the Lord, we're able to co-parent. And it's been Zalan 17 now. There are benefits of seeking the Lord. 
There are benefits of putting him first. There are benefits that the Bible promises that will come thereafter if you seek him first. I don't know what it is that you're looking for thereafter, but usually it's going to come with you seeking him. It's not going to come first. It's not going to last first. Let me say it like that. Now, when everybody that I've discussed today, Eve, Esau, Job, Jesus, who sought God? Did Eve seek God? Actually, she didn't even have to seek God because God had already told her what to do and she didn't do it. Did Esau seek God in his famish, in his hunger? Did Job seek God? Jesus, in being God, sought him to the very end, to the very end. He wanted to do what his father was doing. And I want us to have a heart for that. I want us to have a heart for doing what my father is doing. But in order to know what your father is doing, you have to seek him. We as Christians need to follow Christ in everything that we do. And that means we will not take deals presented to us, but we will seek God regarding all things so that he can get the most glory out of our lives. To close, oftentimes the bargain given by the enemy is not worth it. And it has major but not unredeemable consequences. If you think about it, is God speaking to your heart, asking you to put some things down? I don't even know what it is. Asking you to put some things down and lay some things at his feet. The Bible talks about casting your cares on him. And it says that he cares for you. Do you know that he cares for you? He's begging you not to take deals. The discounted version of your life. He has so much in store for each of us. I'm a living witness. Jeremiah 3.11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Prospering is that abundant living I spoke of in the very beginning. And you better believe that the enemy is lurking. And he comes and he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy the abundant life God wants for you. Remember I said, we don't negotiate with terrorists. We do not negotiate with terrorists. I am living proof of that abundant living, and it's all thanks to me saying yes. Yes to God, no to the enemy. Will you guys heed the voice of the Lord today? <laughs>